Hello and welcome to Connected, the podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good in this world. I'm Maya Steer, digital man here at Mediacom. Hi, I'm Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. And joining us in the room is John Grant. John, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Very good. Uh, John, you are a marketing and innovation consultant. You are also the co-founder of St. Luke's, a top 25 independent creative agency, and you're the author of seven books. Correct. Yes. Yeah, that's the right one. Yeah. Not the Texan folk singer. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, and really, we've been trying to get this in the for a, a long time. John's been one of the hugest influences, I think, on how we've thought about marketing um, and media at Mediacom over the years. Um, so thank you for that. Hmm. And um, But your new book, Better, is about well-being, because well-being is the most important thing to do at work. So um, on that note, is well-being nice because it's nice for people or is there a business correlation from well-being is it a necessity for business uh there are some necessity sharp edges so um a gallup survey shows that nearly 80 percent of american workers are unengaged um survey after survey of millennials say that they would uh, in one survey they'd trade eight thousand dollars in salary for a better quality of uh work life and work-life balance so it's a nice specific number yeah so they are um becoming um and you look at things like the tech industry you cannot you cannot recruit people well without fabulous offices great packages and yeah. actually a real feeling of free range quality of life because in the gig economy nearly 40 percent of millennials are freelance yeah. and all the good ones are fairly footloose and moving on to the next great mm. gig and um, I think on average a millennial expects to stay in a job for less than two years so not just attracting the best people but um, getting them uh, to stay and to be really engaged so all, all of these things have brought it around but there's a much bigger sea change one of the academic definitions of well-being is the human value against which other value should be judged because as the utilitarian said what's the point of anything a government or a company or anything else if it doesn't take care of people and mm. ultimately produce human goods and those human goods could include um, enjoyment stimulation challenge um, community community is a huge issue uh, with millennials there's studies showing um, that the average 20 uh, year old is um, 80, actually, 80% of 20-year-olds say they're lonely, and that's a much higher figure than 70-year-olds. So even though they're massively digitally, socially connected, um, they have big issues, anxiety, depression. There's been reports recently. So talking to, like, one of the people I interviewed for my book was the chief happiness officer of a small and fast-growing tech consultancy, and she said, look, you know, most of our em employees are under 35, and you really have to look after these people in a way that possibly a generation earlier you didn't have to attend to this so much and and obviously well-being runs the gamut from you know flu jabs to mindfulness classes uh, yeah I was uh, gonna I was gonna ask because because there is a danger that if you look after your people in the wrong way they don't develop resilience and well-being and resilience are connected right uh, or not or yeah I mean I think we could get into a much bigger discussion about parenting okay. styles <laughs> <laughs> because it's the same argument isn't it yeah. um, I think there is um, an element of truth that, that if you look at what makes people happy at work which yeah. is another measure of well-being yeah. then autonomy challenge meaningful you know all of this purpose stuff are big factors and actually having a slide and a ping pong table are in there somewhere but they're not and flu jabs and mindfulness classes and yeah. urban gardening the things that soften it are 
um, factors. I think the uh, the word to use to describe modern stress, um, uh, you know, one of the words that's used a lot in reports is epidemic. And again, you're seeing high 70s, early 80% of people reporting that they have mental or physical symptoms as a result of stress, that they have trouble sleeping about 30 to 40 percent report themselves as really under severe stress yeah. and clearly and the sleeping thing is a, a, there's a lot of talk about that yes and getting enough sleep that's yeah. ariana huffington's thing mm-hmm. um but where i got into this was actually through client market projects there's been a bigger sea change in um consumer markets where a combination of um transparency a lot of service businesses food businesses and so forth seeing that actually taking care of people is their primary concern. So people I interviewed for the book included um, Leon, who've just decided to reinvent fast food and yeah. take care of people really well and do things that people don't even appreciate or know about, like nitrate-free chorizo. But they are founded on the idea that fast food can be good food and um, yeah, fast and casual in the States has been a sort of slightly more mainstream version of that. And I, I and came to this through yeah. a, a client project where a large soft drinks manufacturer asked the question, what if we produce stuff um, for a post-sugar era that was just as popular as our brands before, but you know, how would we start to take this forward? Because there's been like a sea change in consumer it's, attitudes. It, 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 well, I once saw Vivian Westwood speak, um, and she was saying that um, you can always ask yourself when you're faced with a decision, even the tiniest one in your day, what would the better me do? Because actually, we all know, and we all know deep down. Mm. So I love that thought, and the thought that. Well, that we can be better. You've just got to be blessed with a non-tyrannical um, superego, really, because the best of me can be quite demanding in um, some cultures and contexts. But um, I take a point. I think it has become a... So I think the, the subtitle of the book says the well-being revolution and human-friendly business. And I think this humanised um, and self-organising and free-flowing, chaotic style of um, organization where you really have to connect with people differently and the old terms like human resources don't really apply but also the fact that your people are your greatest advocates and more trusted uh, to talk about your products than your CEO an Edelman survey showed and it extends into you know community where when I work with Lego they had like a thriving ambassador community where they were working with the fans and it sort of extends out and you have this porous um, extended human community where if it's not actually at the end of the day leaving people in a better place than um, before they were there then sort of what's it here for because otherwise it's just a little machine for hoovering or laundering money and not an issue that a nice glossy advertising campaign can change if you're if you don't have ambassadors for your business well some can I mean there's um, but the cause Related advertising. We were talking about Dove before the the mics went on, but there were certain um, there were certain campaigns um, which have chosen to um, champion social progress in the in in the nineties. Yeah. Every one of my presentation had but Benetton and Body Shop in it because those were the examples yeah. that we had. But but um, what I mean is is that if you if you haven't if you, if the people that work for you aren't talking about you and your brand yeah. in a positive way. You can't really just now, put an ad out but there and, and transparency. That. You companies are utterly see through, so mm. it's so much more convenient actually to be a bit good than yeah. to like it's put a slap easier. of paint on the outside yeah. saying good. Which um, is back to one of your books after and, image, you know, people, 
people know that Mr Kipling doesn't ex- doesn't bake exceedingly good cakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the world we live in now. Not so sorry. That's probably but, what no, 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 no. But no, but it's but no. Uh, uh, it's back to your very prescient book because after Image was two thousand and two, two, three, so two. It was just after the dot com crash. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, we're still talking about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're going to come on to that uh, shortly. Um, but you've been in media a while. And you've seen it change. How has it well, changed? Well, uh, I'm not sure John would say he'd been in media. Would you See, say I think media? I've always dabbled in media. That's been I my think little... I, I actually said to Andrew, said to I me. think you would. You are a brilliant media planner. Now, I don't think yeah. you would ever call yourself that, but... Oh, I, that was my conscious programme at St Luke's, was um, we went from... I was trained as a planner, uh, an advertising planner at JWT, where they talk to you about, you know, this TV print and radio <laughs> those were the days yeah and if you maybe, had a tv had the, the thing yeah um yeah well print oh, right. okay. <laughs> print pictures from the tv ad um with some detail about the car or something um and i worked in the glory days of uh television advertising um things like the the you know ikea's chuck out your chins we love, and we love the, the volkswagen campaigns and mm. Um, but the thing was, it was kind of like the last days of opera or haiku. You were increasingly trying to tweak another 1% out of a very developed art form, um, which had very little room for manoeuvre. You got 30 seconds of celluloid. Mm. Everything your competitors have made are all, already made with the most expensive, impossible talent. Mm. And um, increasingly there was a gap. This is what After Image and... You know all the conversations we were having in the yeah. 90s grew out of is I remember doing a focus group and asking people about Levi's and some kid some smart kid said um, yeah I can see they hired a really good agency but actually they're not cool like my uncle wears them and like diesel are cool I mean you just look at diesel and you go that's for me and like Levi's it's sort of you know they would have um, they were sort of describing a sort of Jeremy Clarkson type of persona and um, Levi's was the absolute breaking point for that model of advertising because for 13 years they were in most years the number one award-winning clients in the world and they had ads where people jumped through walls and you know going back to yeah. Laundrette yeah. and at the time of Laundrette they were able to show they'd increase sales 800% or associated with that kind of increase mm. by the later stages of this 13 years they'd lost 7 billion value as a company at the same time mm. as going from strength to strength and I knew people who worked at Levi's and they said it's sort of like methadone every time sales are flagging we think oh let's make another TV mm. campaign everybody gets excited everybody gets together again and then you know the new brands like um, Diesel and you know new channels and things like that came through and took markets from them and that is in the you know perfumes cars and jeans were the last bastion of image advertising well I mean I think we're on to the next question actually yeah, isn't absolutely. it which is which is the 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 point being that the new marketing manifesto and I still remember because I, I did and I, I want you to know that not only did I go and buy a copy but um, I bought copies for other people as well but originally I received it um, in photocopied form because Nick Lawson had photo, had got someone to photocopy I've, I've still got it somewhere Nick Lawson would be too mean to buy a second copy for me <laughs> and it got someone to photocopy the entire book and uh, bind it together um, Do you remember the conversation we had with Steve Allen about um, potentially licensing the new marketing manifesto? Oh god no I don't know uh, So we sat in an office and you said Steve uh, we're all about really smart media deals and we think we should kind of sponsor John and license his book and because there's a chunk like a chapter of his book on um, you know 15 fundamental needs that we're already using yes, as a real yes, world planning right, tool yeah. 
and John works with us quite a bit and you know he wants to be yeah. free and write more books but I think it would be a really modern kind of media deal and he leant across the table and said Sue how much did you pay for this book and he said 1999 he said you've already bought it why do you want to buy it again <laughs> and that was the end of that deal fair enough yeah that's a media agency for you Um, Uh, so new marketing manifesto after image um, brand innovation manifesto 2000 2002 2006 Um, ideas in them true today or do you would you rewrite them today uh, well yes and no so um, if you read new marketing manifesto um, it's actually most clear and funniest when you see the Chinese edition because it's like sort of reign of um, characters, Spice Girls, reign of characters, Tony Blair, reign of okay. characters, Virgin. <laughs> and I think the examples feel very dated. On the other hand, mm-hmm. the chapters talk mm-hmm. about participation, community, um, authenticity, you know, real cornerstones of modern marketing. And, and what what do you do if you can't put up a facade and say, here's an image? And the piece of it, which I think is most germane, is the idea that runs through all that book all those books that actually growth hacking and entrepreneurial business development and this idea of a molecule of connected ideas is the way to grow a business and all of these things communicate. So if you're top shop and you have a molecule and the meaning of the molecule is we bring high fashion to the high street, you continually innovate with personal dressing, London Fashion Week, I love Instagram, the, I love you know, all of this kind of stuff. What was it, what's your quote about um, consistency that... Um uh, that was the report in management today where I was re- I was described as the only person he'd ever heard on a conference podium using the C word but the C word was actually consistency right. it was a joke <laughs> um, no, it was, but it was, it was co- coherence not co- co- it, no it was the point about um, oh, only, only li- lying yeah. yeah only liars need to be consistent yes, that came yeah. from an Ikea project and we had a picture of Richard Nixon and, and that was the, the headline And because they were trying to tidy up their marketing and we were like no actually don't the, tidy it too much the great yeah. thing about your marketing is all you and it's all yeah. born out of yeah. the question is this us and it's utterly, it's utterly right for the UK and the UK, and it's utterly say, right for Italy and Italy, and don't try and make it all recently, Swedish. Recently quoted you on this because we were looking at all of the things that we do for Mediacom, so all of the kind of wellness stuff and the freshness stuff and the training and the um, events and away days and uh, uh, cause-related stuff. And someone said there's too much stuff, too much stuff. Mm. Let's narrow it down. Let's make it all consistent. And I actually got out your molecules and said, no, that that's what makes it good, is that all of it's um, bottom-up, all of it's been suggested by people, including mm. this podcast, which was suggested by Andrew. It's like, it's yeah. brilliant that, that we know whether it's a Mediacom thing or not all, Mediacom all thing. All of it, it says is, something like media, Mediacom is right at the heart of all the conversations that are yeah. driving this whole, this whole agenda forward yeah. and media and whether that is the position of women in the industry, podcasts with um, you know, rambling characters, uh, but they're all <laughs> driving, you know, putting you at the heart of the conversation. What a which great is, way of putting yeah. it. Which yeah. is yeah. a much better position than we buy your spots. I, so I, is, I need to spend you know. more time with John, yeah. clearly. Um, uh, you set up St. Luke's, which was, a, it was revolutionary, it is revolutionary, so if, but if you were setting up an agency brand new today, how would it be different? Oh, well, good question. Uh, well, St. Luke's was a real fluke, um, and a product of its time in that many of its features I'm working with Dyson on a workplace talent experience uh, 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 project and they are developing 
a lot of new office space. You know, in it's been in the newspapers here that they've they bought a neighbouring airfield and here bought a new office in Chicago, and they're really thinking about the way to get the most out of um, the spaces where people work. And so many of the conversations we're having are familiar from. 20 years Talk ago, a bit it? about St Luke's because not all of our listeners no. will know, no, will understand what was so uh, revolutionary about so it. So St Luke's was a small um, tin pot outpost of a big agency called Shiat Day um, and Jay Shiat was a luminary figure who was Steve Jobs' ad man and they were ad agency of the decade in the 80s and um, they had a little London outpost and we had this ridiculous office which you'll remember at the top of... Um, uh, above the Oasis Sports Club, where actually the rent on the office and the art on the walls cleared our profit every year. So we were a, a loss-making black hole. And then um, Jay Shire got a bit older and decided to retire. So, you know, naturally, as people like that do, he sold his company to Omnicom. And, um, and the prospect was that we'd be merged with TBWA. And we sort of staged a kind of um, workers' revolution. We said, we're not going. And years later, we discovered that the reason we got away with this, because they should have just fired us all, but actually there was an SEC ruling that this class of merger had to be demonstrated to be for the good of the company throughout the company. So if we kicked up a stink and it got into the FT, we could have screwed their entire deal and everybody's, you know, all the money that everybody's made for this. And so they offered us to buy the company, the going concern off them with its clients for a million quid over seven years. And you know we, that was a better option than get, all getting fired, so we mm-hmm. took it. Um, I think later, if we'd known about the SEC thing, we would have asked to buy it for a pound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing, um, the thing that carried us through it was actually we were one of those lopsided little agencies where our main account, Midland Bank, that you know, and it rebranded by then as HSBC, accounted in most years for a third to half our billing. So mm-hmm. we went to see them, and they were outraged because TBWA. I think had Royal Bank of Scotland right. or another major client. Yeah. They were like, they didn't consult us. How dare right, they? So they wanted you. They just said, look, if you need office space, you know, just get our ads out for the autumn. We're with you. And you know, from that moment, we knew that we could uh, go ahead. And then the question was, if you were a bunch of twenty-eight-year-olds with a new media-focused agency who just had this landed on your lap, what would you do with it? And that um, we'd all just been given, actually, by Jay Shiat, um, Carlo Semler's book, uh, Democracy. Uh, to read, and we were working with people like Anita Roddick, who was um, chewing our ear about sustainability and media and our influence, and um, and so all of this. Um, and we had a summer when we weren't sure if we'd get away with it, where we thought we might as well. Um, this was my strategy for uh, the Catalan, um, the Catalan movement. I was working with some friends in Barcelona on this, and our strategy last year um, to refocus their digital campaign was let's stop arguing about EU and other stuff and actually let's talk about the real opportunity here which is like the phrase was let's create a country you know all sorts of questions should we have a flag what kind of flag should it be should we have an army should we pay off the deficit or should we leave it 20 years but that thing which you know very few communities ever get to do which is to create your community so we had that opportunity landed in our laps and we decided we were already quite free roaming but we managed to get a internal telephone system off Ericsson that they wanted to trial somewhere. Um, so we had um, roaming mobile handsets before the days when mobiles were mass affordable. We made it so that you could log into any computer and work. And then we had to have rules. After I hired somebody and he sent an all staff memo on his first morning, so he had slightly large ears saying, Does anybody notice I look like the FA Cup? We, we introduced very stringent policies on. Um, on um, 
hacking into each other's emails, which was, you know, because it was a very practical, jokey sort of place. Um, but we had a, we were featured in the second ever issue of Fast Company magazine, and shortly after in the Harvard Business Review uh, with the headline The Agency to Kill All Agencies and actually everybody was actually interested in our workplace culture so the yeah. fact we had what's now called hot desking yeah. and we had project rooms so the Ikea room was full of Ikea furniture the yeah. Boots room was a teenage yeah. bedroom the Eurostar room had Eurostar train seats in it and it was a genuinely collaborative open culture which we always thought was simply designed for an age where the 24-year-old who just came out of college knew more about web content than actually their boss. And, you know, we just thought, and we were all quite young anyway, and, you know, weren't that hierarchical, or most of us, you know, some of the characters. <laughs> <laughs> but we sort of, so it was the kind of muddle that you put together if you kind of had an agency landed on your lap sort of 10 years earlier than you might have been expecting. Um and it was glorious, and um, we had visits from oil company chairman, boards of directors who come to see the new way of yeah. working. We won a lot of business in a short space of time, then everybody it sort of exploded around the year 2000. Well, um, to do we, did, we did love working with you, actually. We worked a lot with you, um, including on the Chuck Out Your Shins campaign, which is yeah, you know, still classic. Yeah. Um, if you were, but, we, but the question, let's go back to the questions. How yeah. would it be different if you were doing it today? What, I mean, it's a so question, what maybe. I started saying, before I had to explain yeah, what it was, was if you actually sat down with a group of 28 year olds today um, mm. just as actually we were hammering out then some of the principles of new media which were generally new um, which have stood the test of time so there's loads of things which I mean broadly speaking the office really literally looked like we work and it was more like a Silicon Valley startup mm. than an agency and you know all of the modern models now you know you look at the you could look at the business model, so the sort of autonomy, you know, we create ideas, we add ideas to a molecule, we actually hire different classes of people that develop, you know, IP and things like yeah. that. That would be an interesting thing for a creative agency. Mm. Somehow working out how to have a core of people that can service and plug people like me into it or yeah. people that, you know, can make those skating films that Nike wants or things like that, but to have a much broader... So a bit kind of a looser campus. confederation. Yeah, which is... Agile, flexible. Agile, flexible. And um, I mean, I think the short answer is, you know, if you were 28 and ambitious uh, in London today, would you start an ad agency? <laughs> it's kind of a bigger question, isn't it? It's sort of kind of increasingly, you know, uh, kind of I've never really left advertising, but it increasingly looked like a very extended episode of The Apprentice to me. <laughs> um, what's next for you? Uh, well, my book's coming out. I um, I was uh, on Skype yesterday with my TED Talk coach, so oh, hopefully, brilliant. hopefully the book is going to make a splash. Or When's I'm, that? Give us the. Uh, so the book is out in end of November, and the talk is in mid-November. And available for pre-order now on Amazon. Available for pre-order now at Unbound, at which Unbound. is my crowdfunding publisher, cool. who yep. uh, uh, I think won Publisher of the Year or Innovative Publisher of the Year. Cool. Um, Just get the plug in. Oh, yeah, yeah, get the plug in. So it's not available from Orchid Book no, Service. It will be next year when Peg <laughs> okay. and Random House pick it up. Um, so the book's coming out, so you're on book tour? Yes, and um, more on book tour than usual, because I decided to crowdfund this one. Yeah. I thought it would be an interesting experiment. And some you know, very nice companies from here to literally Wisconsin have wow. ordered a stack of books and asked me to come and give a talk in return. And so I shall be following through on um, those. I've done you know, a number of those kind of locally and yeah but I am really so I'm doing 
some medium-sized things with companies I've known for a number of years, so things like IKEA and, and Dyson, but I'm starting to explore these well-being and actually mm. you know, meeting with the, the people team rather than just the marketing team. Mm. I've got some really fun sort of short and sharp um, you know, working with some entrepreneurs or, you know, with, you know, a coffee shop group who'd bought a brand and were trying to, you know, really sort of think, so I'm doing sort of creative um, strategy, usually around what's the brand narrative, what's the point of it and, you know, where's it going and things like that, that kind of brand strategy work. And I'm exploring uh, in the early stages, um, this comes around slightly slower cycle than books, but I'm exploring an entrepreneurial idea, which would transform the world of fintech um, energy and um, personal savings it's a no small thing there no 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 uh, so now we're on to the regular questions that we ask all our guests so we can compare and yeah and these are much harder <laughs> <laughs> I look at these on the tube and I thought oh no I'm just going to wing it <laughs> Jaffa cakes of course but um, so what advice would you give to someone just starting their career in our business media advertising all of it I once um I won't say this, but I once gave a really short presentation to IKEA whose question was how should we communicate sustainability and we looked at it for a month and we came back with one chart and one word and just said don't. <laughs> we showed them the BP Beyond Petroleum campaign and said why don't we just do some stuff to engage your people and like, get sustainability moving and make it a thing because uh, people already assume you're doing the right thing. And the president of the company said, oh, thank God for that. We don't produce any ads saying not many kids died in our cafes last year. <laughs> it's a kind of negative issue, isn't it? We had Swedish concerns about it. Um, but I won't say don't, but I think the thing is that um, I think it's a, really, um, it's a really good time to come up what we do from another angle. So I would say, you know, I started on a graduate trainee scheme. Me and some friends were swapping some emails last week about the anniversary of us starting at grad, as graduate trainees at JWT many, many years ago. And I actually did that not because I wanted to be in advertising, but I didn't quite know what I wanted mm. to do. I tumbled out of studying science and I thought it would be a really good general introduction to lots of different businesses. And I'll probably stay in London for a couple of years and then find something more interesting mm. to do. And um, obviously I got slightly stuck. Um, I, I almost see it the other way. So if you came into the industry having spent three, four years as um, the people I had at St. Luke, some of them have been, one of them was an academic in um, postmodern literary yeah. theory and thought that numbers were a, an illusion. So I had to do his pie graphs for him. And another one had been a new age therapist, but they, um, and a designer. But if you actually came at our industry with some grit from something else, yeah. so you had been mm. the social media community manager for an up-and-coming brand, a Nando's or something yep. like that for three years, you'd have so much more to mm. substance to bring to this than yep. actually if you took a graduate training scheme. Because I think that the equivalent of those talks about sort of uh, TV press and boasters and radio, you know, there's so actually th there's first. a real, yeah, and something quite possibly entrepreneurial, because why not in this slash slash generation cool. have a startup, have a blog, but actually do something, because then I think you'll really, and if if you do that it may just take off but if it if it continues and you know continues to fascinate you as an industry you'll just bring because I think people today that really you know more about this than me but I think the people that really thrive now in agencies are as management consultants say t-shaped mm. and they have some deep specialism that everybody you're yeah. the go-to person that somebody will phone you to in America because you just know more about alternate reality or, or something else than other people and you've got a real thing about it and um that's a really secure basis to get the kind of work that you love doing again and again and actually to grow and you know 
agencies pretty are sort of department store, stores of specialisms now, aren't they? Great answer. Really good. First time someone said, yeah, can do something else? Really good. Um, if you were a genie, this is my favourite question, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in a magic circle to um, make you appear? Uh, Please. Yeah. Yeah, answer the hard questions. Hmm. Um, so my desert island food answer is always espresso. Okay. Uh, so okay. definitely a coffee. I've got into milk foaming recently after my Cafe Nero project and I got their, uh, one of their heads of coffee to show me how to foam milk. So I've, okay. I've added that to my geekery. But I love coffee in a way that it's, it's unreasonably, you know, <laughs> I've lost most of my vices. I don't smoke, all sorts of things that yeah, I've had in my yeah, life. Yeah. But I actually had a conversation with a naturopathic doctor last year uh, when I was on a yoga retreat thinking about the, writing the book on well-being and I was like yeah. just to start this conversation coffee's off limits okay? I've had the same conversation yeah. with a nutritionist it's like we're not going to coffee so yeah. I, I don't mind what else you say I'll give it all and up I'm like, but not coffee I can drink coffee at 11 at night and sleep it doesn't bother me and she said well that's because your liver isn't high functioning I was like okay but then deal with the liver but you're not having the coffee um, so um, coffee any, particular, would definitely any particular kind or you're not bothered um, good coffee usually my staple is Monmouth um, organic espresso but okay. I always rotate some of those sort of single estate new coffees just to because otherwise you get bored okay. particularly with espresso good, good coffee good coffee um, Kindle cool. <laughs> gets yeah, just like cover my entire book yes, collection yes. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm quite Spartan so when I travel you know I'll go and work somewhere for two weeks with a rucksack enough t-shirts to get me started and you know a laptop and other stuff so I'm sort of a little bit little bit sparse sort of possession light I wouldn't have a lot of and I'm not particularly I, I was mind boggled by a project that is on chocolate at the what sort of raptures you're, you're incredibly fashionable John I mean that, that I love that coat and the top we knew you there'll, yeah, there'll you be a photo can, that goes with and the, you can uh, see that this is the jumper you wore in the video on the unbound website right when you're explaining what your book is I'm pretty sure that's the same I think Ariana Huffington has a um, post on wearing the same outfit twice and media appearances <laughs> for st sustainability grounds because usually they were like burner outfits you'd have to throw oh, yeah. them after one appearance yeah. and she's arguing from a sustainability point of view that you might use them twice it's good for familiarity isn't yeah it? no it's, it's the t so it's, it's the awesome move jumper go to shop or something or uh I like Joseph, but I, uh, I'm so mean that I buy from the sample sale place in the East End. That's where I found okay. this coat for about 50 quid that I knew that would do coat. me for like so 10 may years. So maybe a Joseph item, I don't know. Maybe a Joseph yeah. item, yeah. I don't really think of um, don't really think of it fashion, it's just like things I like. Yeah, okay. Um, um, well, my son would endorse that. <laughs> we had a conversation about sharing shoes because we're the same size and he's yeah. like, mm. <laughs> So that's three. That's three. I think the um, something like the cushion that I meditate on, all of that has no, become. No, I can't be able to get hold of that. I could get hold of a, a cushion. cushion. A cushion. Yeah, yeah. A cushion. I can give you a cushion. Yeah, but you know, something something to do with meditation that's become okay. quite important to me. Um, I used to be more into stretching and yoga, but that's now my mm -hmm. well-being thing. Um, and one more food. Cool. Something to do with writing, pen and paper, maybe. I don't know. Oh, come on, let's be silly. Clash of Clans. <laughs> I've, um, I persuaded my son to revise for a set of exams a year and a half ago by he said I'll do that if you play Clash with okay. me and I've since taken over his account and I'm in several clans bit, okay. no but I think you have to play um, you have to play with whatever's new I totally I just 
you just, yeah. yeah. No, I wanted to surprise you. You did surprise <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. Um, so after living things, there's been a disaster. Your house is going Everyone's down. Everyone's safe. But everything's, everything is safe. Every, every, every person, person, every pet is safe. What three, but you've got enough time to go in and grab three things. Three mementos. Mm. Things that aren't electronic, you know. Really? Because I, I read that question, I just thought, kit, I've got some really nice camera lenses. Oh, okay, and, yeah, yeah, you know, no, can, um, you go, get, can you go at that? I wouldn't go for laptop and work things, but okay. um, actually, my, I'm probably not as digitally brilliantly backed up, so I should probably say, you know, the orange hard drives that's got loads of my kind of video footage on okay. and things like that, but I, I, yeah... I wouldn't be able to get it out of the house in time, but my espresso machine. No, you can. We, we'll give you time. The, the hand grinder I ordered from um, a hand coffee grinder I ordered from Obsessives in um, uh, San Francisco, who made with a hand uh, wheel you grind using the burrs are from the world's most sort of exclusive um, grinding machine that has an engine the size of a, a jet wow. under it. Usually, it's used in the World Espresso Championships, and they just took these and put a big flywheel next to it, so you grind it, and they sold it on Kickstarter, and it's amazing. It is wow. the world's best coffee grinder. It's even better than the thing that it took those teeth from because <laughs> it doesn't heat the coffee as much because it doesn't turn as fast. Uh, so, uh, wow, yeah, really okay, interesting. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it would be quite hard to get another one of those there's probably loads of things that I should say you know wonderful ornaments and other stuff but you know no, 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 I'd, I'd let it burn and start again I think so camera grinder and what was the third thing it's gone Grind, camera grinder probably, probably oh, the, hard drive. the hard drive yeah, yeah. I, should be, no, I should go back and put all that um, in the cloud what's your favourite book uh, it can also be the book you've gifted the most the book you've given away so my favourite ever book was um, Vineland by Thomas Pynchon and I always wanted to move to California and he's sort of like the James Joyce of what's wonderful about California okay. and yeah, I just love that as a book. I think at some point I will write some fiction um, that I try to do stuff with and, and that is the world of fiction that I really like is the way that he writes. It's very contemporary but very kind of lyrical. Great. Uh, if you had to choose one person to play you in a film about your life, who would it be? Oh, probably Hugh Grant. <laughs> Just good. because I've traded on that in America, I've literally said to people, they say, are you, are you related to Hugh Grant? I'm like, that's amazing, he's my cousin. Because <laughs> 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 I sound slightly posh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got really good service at the Waldorf once on that basis because they literally thought I was Hugh Grant's cousin. So thank you, Hugh. Yeah, thank you, Hugh. Yeah. Now, John, there's one question you can't prepare for. It's from this box from Alan de Botton's A School of Life. It's a... Um, question it's a toolkit from Korea John's career. looking really dubious yeah. you're sounding you make it sound like I prepared for the other questions <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the bit where I said I read that on the tube yeah. and stumbled yeah, yeah, yeah. and thought I'd wing it uh, if you could pick one and answer it read, read it out. out and then answer it please oh I like this question you are tasked with making the world more beautiful uh, where do you start um I think probably the biggest increase you could make to the beauty of the world would be to tackle the corporateness, the ugliness of business. Uh, there are beautiful business in the world. So I worked with Natura Cosmetics in Brazil and it was the nicest place I went in Brazil. Their offices with the, the toucans and the butterflies and their energy shines and the beautiful, amazing people that work there. And it was incredible. And um, and then you go to a mean procurement specified lean office somewhere near Slough with people in their slabs of 
you know, either in the open plan places where nobody can concentrate, nobody gets headaches, or in booths, or mm-hmm. and there's something so mean-spirited about the and ugly, and I find you know industry can be really beautiful. There's this gorgeous like concrete works in in Japan designed by the same man who designed the Museum of Modern Art, and um, there is a sort of I can understand some of the few generations ago this sort of obsession with sort of futurism and speed and industrial beauty but the meanness of um, just even if you just made the world's offices where people spend a lot of time more beautiful I think you'd make a much bigger impact because I think we've got quite a few nice parks and clothes shops and galleries but Mm -hmm. so that's where I'd start. Cool, great answer. John Grant thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Brilliant.